Welcome everyone. Um, <clears throat> thanks for showing up. Without your presence, this is just a building. And um, without your practice, that's just a hunk of plaster. Um, and uh, we have to <coughs> we have to bring these places and these statues alive by showing up and actually practicing. So, thank you. I've been uh, talking to a bunch of people for the past couple of weeks and hearing a lot of complaining. I happen to be in an enviable position these days of being retired from the university and living a sort of semi-monastic life and um, basically just get to see people who are practicing and who are uh, in sort of the same spirit as uh, I live and uh, I am spared the challenges of the work environment. And so I vaguely remember what that was like, uh, but I'm being reminded of that by people who are coming to me for (laughs) advice and counsel, and mostly it has to do with um, what they call difficult people or irritating people, as I um, posted on the eraser board. Of course, it's them. They're the irritating ones. Um, And so I thought, well, maybe it's, it's worth saying a few words about irritating people. I guess, first of all, irritability is a sign of life. It's often said that if you poke something and it doesn't respond with irritability, it's dead. So if you're irritable and if other people are irritable, that is a sign of life. So treasure that at least. The second thing, perhaps, to say is that there really are no irritating people. People are just doing what people do. They're just acting out their particular lives. Um, Just like we would say, well, that tree in and of itself is not irritating, it's just being a tree. However, if that tree is hanging over the zendo, then it starts becoming an irritated tree, an irritating tree, and it has to be cut down. So, if you really consider this, and this is partly what we, what we do in our practice, we, we don't take the surface of things to be necessarily the reality <coughs> of things. We're always digging, digging deeper, trying to see more clearly and not settling 
for what things appear to be, but digging more deeply as we look internally and get clear, we can see more clearly what, what the reality of the situation is. And if you, I think if you begin to consider what the reality is when we talk about irritating people we'll discover that it's not the person that's irritating, but the relationship. A person, like a tree, is just doing their own thing. But when we come into relation, when that tree comes into relationship with my desire to maintain the integrity of the zendo, then it becomes irritable, irritating, and needs to be. So similarly, the people you work with, you live with, you engage with, just doing their thing, they become irritating when they come into relationship with you. And that relationship becomes problematic. And the probably the the real fact of the matter is that the closer you are to someone the more irritating they're likely to be so it's your wife your husband your children your parents the people you are close to your the work the people you work with your roommates um, you're close, so the, the, the probability is that you're going to rub up against each other, right? And sometimes we even use the phrase, she rubs me the wrong way. So it's not she, it's she in relationship to you, how you sort of rub, rub together, how you connect, how you relate to one another. So be prepared to be irritated by the people you're closest to, the people that you work with. Because even when we sit in the zendo, we sit close to one another But as long as we remain silent and still, no problem. But as soon as the person next to us starts wiggling around and is restless or starts coughing uncontrollably, they're just doing their thing. But uh, I wish you would stop breathing heavily. I wish you would stop moving. She's just doing... So it's, it's the relationship. It's when that situation or that person or that group of people begins to relate to you in a way that is troublesome. So this irritation, this irritability, can be a very low-grade thing. Like I, I think of it as a low-grade fever. If you're in a situation where there's somebody or some group of people who are, they just, you know, 
you just don't connect with them. There's just something that isn't isn't life-giving and nourishing, or they're annoying, just sort of generally. They, ne- they never get to the point where there's a full-blown conflict or a full-blown issue between you. It's just that you just don't connect. There's no real, you know, there's just someone that's not quite like you and not doesn't quite relate to you. And so you sort of, it's a kind of tolerable like a, a very, uh, uh, it's like a very minor itch <laughs> that you have. You know, it's tolerable, but it's there. Um, so that irritability can range from a kind of tolerable itch to a full-blown poison ivy, <laughs> where. There have been times when there was a person who was just so um, disturbing to me, usually for very, very minor reasons. Maybe she just didn't stop talking, you know. And as soon as we got together, I it was it would be constant talking about herself. Yeah, I didn't like that. I wanted to be able to talk about myself, but I could never get a word in. So I would see her coming up the lane, and I would completely find another way. You know, I just, just did not want to engage with that. I just, I could feel, I could feel that all those itches kind of coming up, and I just, it was intolerable. So sometimes it's on a sort of tolerable level of irritation, and sometimes it's a full-blown uh, antipathy to somebody, revulsion, re- you know, aversion to that to that person. <clears throat> sometimes that irritability or that sense of aversion, which is, by the way, is one of the three poisons in uh, in our practice. Uh, Desire, aversion, and ignorance, they can all really make us suffer. And we do suffer with that irritability. We, you know, it's that itch that we can never actually scratch uh, to relieve ourselves because that person is always in our life. We live with our children, we live with our husband and wife, we live with our co workers. Uh, so they're always there potentially to rub against us. So sometimes that aversion, that irritability, and I want to describe it, um, is, okay, there's that person. Let's just say it's a person. And they're there. And as our irritability increases because of our our aversion, that person becomes dominant. And sometimes we just can't forget that that person is in our lives and that we become what is called obsessed with that person. And that person, instead of being here, is right in front of our face all the time. And we're thinking about that person. And we're 
ruminating about what that, how that person irritates us and what they do and how it's not justified and more and more coming right here so that we cannot see beyond that. Even when the person isn't there, we're, we're, we're thinking, we're thinking, we're thinking. This wonderful mind of ours, which thinks and has this you know, brilliant technology and brilliant um, research and modern life and all the wonderful things and art and, and uh, you know, the great things that our minds have produced, it also makes us suffer. It also acts against us. And even when that individual isn't present in our lives and we're not having to deal with them directly, our minds are bringing them back and back and back and closer and closer. So, how do we deal with this? I, one of my approaches to our practice is that it has to be helpful. It's not just a theory. It's not just a philosophy. It has to help us in our everyday life. And so one of the things that our practice helps us to do is, you might say, to put everything in its proper place. So this doesn't belong here. This belongs here. So we need to create enough space in our lives, in our minds, to be able to put this in its proper place. But we can only do that if we create space, if we enter a big, what we call, big sky mind, spacious mind, in which, yes, this person, this group, this experience, this place is troubling to me. It irritates me. Oh, I'm alive. Yay. But it doesn't belong here. It belongs here. So in that space, we can put that person, group, or whatever that's irritating us in its proper place. There's so, when we do this, we're missing out on this. We can't see. We just, and believe me, I, I'm the victim of, of this too. There are times, even recently, where there's this one person Over and over and over. And I only see this person very rarely. But it's as if that person is constantly with me. Even though they're not. It's here. Can't forget. So we begin to... You know, just like... We almost need a... um, what are those things called? Those come-alongs? <laughs> like pulling the tree 
in a different direction. We want, we want the, fall, the tree to fall this way, but it's leaning this way. It's leaning toward something that's going to be, make us suffer. So, but we're so used to that. We have in our habit energy that we have to take this come along and attach it to that, that leaning mind and pull it in a different direction. So it, it sort of falls the way we want it to fall. And we need help in this. We need our practice, we need each other, we need to read books, but we need to practice. You know, we need to practice. So these irritating people, these so-called thems, truly are our best teachers. I know this sounds... <laughs> Almost like, um, <laughs> you know, I'm an, I'm an old hippie, peace, love, and understanding. Oh, they're my best teachers when we want to just strangle them. And, but they are, they're gifts to us. Because it's the only, only way we're going to grow. When we are presented with these challenges. There was a, um, uh, actually he was a mystic, uh, spiritual mystic, Gurdjieff. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, Armenian mystic and philosopher and spiritual teacher. Very, um, had quite a following in the uh, 19th century. And uh, he had this ashram, this spiritual community and there was one guy in the community who was disliked by everyone uh, he was he was aggressive he was uh, rude impolite uh, he was smelly uh, he, he, he he was just a real annoyance to everyone and nobody liked him and there's usually somebody like that in a group. You could call it a scapegoat. But in any case, he was persona non grata in the community. And everyone wanted to throw him out. And they approached Gurdjieff and told him, you know, they're, they're getting rid of him. Everyone in the community was told by Gurdjieff, and they found out later, that they, the members of the community, all the members of the community, had to pay rent to live there, had to pay something. But Gurdjieff paid this guy to live there. Why? He said, there's no way you're going to throw him out. He is the most valuable person in this community. Because he is going to make you, let's put it this way, in a positive way, he's going to make you creative. He's going to make you look inside of yourself and find ways to deal with this. You can't just be, you know, sort of complacent and be in, this, in your status quo 
that everything's going to go the way you want it to go, and everyone's going to be the way you want them to be. Which I thought was quite interesting. I also saw a... um, I saw an interview with the basketball player Magic Johnson. Remember him? A very, very famous and skilled basketball player. And he uh, was interviewed because his son uh, was transgendered. And he was interviewed because he was a very famous, powerful athlete who had a transgendered son who was, uh, wanted to be a woman. And he, he told the interviewer that for years, when the child was young, he was trying to get that child to be more masculine. He took him to every soccer game. He gave him baseball lessons. He had him lift weights. He would run with him. He would buy him all kinds of masculine toys. (laughs) Every time he saw the kid going in one direction, he'd pull him in the other direction, trying to get him to be an athlete, to be male. He realized eventually... This was not working. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't pull that tree in the direction that he wanted it to go. His kid was going this way. And he finally, he said to the interview, I, interviewer, I finally had to say, I had to ask myself, how do I work on myself now? Now it's, It's the shift from how do I change him to now. How how do I change myself? That's the key to irritating, difficult people. Is what what do I have to do? Because I can't change anyone. You, You know that. I mean, they're changing. They're always changing, but not at your... Not at your behest, not at your orders. So if you have any chance of changing anything, it's, it's this. So some of us know about a very irritating situation called flying squirrels, <laughs> right? Some of us know about flying squirrels because they tend to enter the Zen downstairs Zendo, the ceiling. We had this problem all last year, and we tried everything to get them to go away because they started chewing on the insulation and on the wiring. And Max, when he was living downstairs, we did it. We finally did it. We finally figured out a way. And we tried everything. We even tried, uh, what was it, Uh, wolf urine. (laughs) 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 To repel these guys. (laughs) Nothing worked. And then Max figured out some kind of way of uh, allowing them to, to to, to be able to get out, but not to be able to get in. 
Well, Kelly moves in and Mado. <laughs> I'm hearing some scratching in the ceiling. And immediately I go, ah! Those irritating, those irritating squirrels. I hate them. I look them up online and I'm finding all out all about them and I'm really growing to detest all kinds of rodents, particularly squirrels, even the, the ones that don't go into the ceiling. They're all like in my, on my blacklist of <clears throat> irritating beings. But you know, they're, they're just being squirrels. They're just doing what they have to do to protect themselves in the winter. They're finding a nice warm place, like we do. <laughs> exactly what we do. And so I meditated with this. <laughs> and I decided, okay, it's not the squirrels. It's my relationship to the squirrels. And so I'm going to engage that. I'm 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 just going to be present. I'm going to visit, with Kelly's permission, I'm going to visit her place, and I'm going to take the, the ceiling panel out, and I'm going to open the little door, and I'm going to look in there and see what's going on. This is my opportunity to, you might say, establish a working relationship <laughs> with the squirrels. And... Because we, we've tried everything. Some of us know that. And of course, every time I ask Kelly for a report, I'm waiting yeah. <laughs> for this ir- irrit- irritability to come up in me. Uh, and she, the other night she said, I didn't hear anything. I thought, yes, now the world is just the way I want it. <laughs> But the next night, (laughs) she said, I think I heard something. (laughs) It's night tonight. (laughs) So this opportunity is constantly offering itself to us. So I had an idea because I was actually looking in this area where the squirrels were making their home. And I thought, well, what if I take some deer fencing and roll it up and stuff it in the channel there and make it just difficult for them to walk around, you know, to build their nests. And I thought that worked. Uh, It may have worked for that night, um, but it may not have worked finally. But what I'm suggesting is that I can feel my creativity surfacing because I'm allowing myself to deal directly with confidence and with, um, you might say, enthusiasm. That, okay, what, how, what can I come up with? You know, how can, I, how can I approach this in a new way? How can I engage this in a way that stimulates my 
my creative response? How can I become? How can I grow? How can I relate to that? Okay. So um, there are a number of possible strategies um, that we might say that our fault-finding minds can begin to employ. You know, as a priest, I get a lot of distress. People talk about their distress and the struggles that they're having. And that could become a problematic for me. Like anyone who seems to be compassionate and kind and relatively intelligent and perceptive, people come to you for advice, they come to you with their distress, uh, and you want to help. But sometimes that can feel, that can make you irritable. That can, you know, it's okay, I can't, I can't listen anymore, you know. Um, I've, I have my own problems. Uh, um, but one of the trainings, one of the images I sometimes employ is, yeah, you can see yourself sort of as a, a, a trash bin where people put a lot of their distress into, into you. Um, but a, a, a trash bin that has a hole in the bottom so that you can accept everything but nothing is kept. So there's no accumulation. So you can accept or some, maybe a, even a better metaphor is not like a trash bin with a hole in the bottom, but maybe a compost pile where people and your life experience you know, puts a lot of garbage, a lot of trash, a lot of remnants into that pile. But it composts. It doesn't stay in that state of trash or garbage. It, it, it transforms. And so to use that image may be helpful. Whatever image helps you. I'm, yes, okay, <laughs> sort of like the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor. Yeah. Give, give me your trash. Give me your distress. Uh, give me, so I can help, but I, I'm taking it, but I'm not keeping it. I'm letting it transform. I'm letting it go back into the earth, into the atmosphere, because the earth can, can hold everything. The universe can hold everything. So it just comes through me. If somebody says, if somebody is uh, confronting you, or I'm going to go through these fast because our time is so. You can laugh. Hi. 
why? <laughs> just laugh. And they may actually just laugh with you. I once went into a dokusan with a, a new teacher I'd never met. And we were just divided up. And we, didn't, we were to go to any teacher that was welcoming us. And he was in a tent. And I walked in and I sat down and I looked at him. And I was in terrible shape. And I looked at him and he looked at me and he smiled and I smiled. And then he started to giggle and I started to giggle. And then we both started laughing. And then we laughed more and more and more until we were hysterical laughing. There wasn't a single word exchanged between us. Just laughing. And Back to sitting. So sometimes, and it helps, sometimes if you laugh, the laugh is underpinned by some, something Thich Nhat Hanh would often say. How is this situation going to affect the world in a hundred years? Where are you and your child, you, you and your co-worker, you and your mother, you and your father, what's this going to, how is this going to affect anything a hundred years from now? Where is this going to be two hundred years from now, three hundred years from now? Perspective. Taking this and putting it where it belongs. Also Thich Nhat Hanh says, imagine these people as five-year-old children. How they may have suffered. Because people who make other people suffer, suffer terribly themselves. People who are content and happy and joyful don't make other people suffer. They don't irritate other people. So you can awaken some compassion for someone who's making other people suffer. So Gurdjieff may have wanted, wanted that as a practice, that to see the suffering of this person Understand that you may have to live, work, and engage with this person for maybe five hours a day or maybe two hours a day, but they have to live with themselves 24-7. A little compassion. And then finally, that them... And you know the, the sort of cliché, that person is irritating. And those, that finger goes that way, but these three fingers go that way. Yeah. Right? And one, one of my mantras used to be, how is this me? <laughs> Every time I would say, that person, I used to do this with my dog, that, that dog is scared of thunder. He's a wimp. She's a wimp. She's going under the, the couch when there's a thunderstorm. I hate that. It pisses me off. And I realize, I'm really afraid of thunder. <laughs> I'm afraid of thunderstorms. And I hate to see that in my dog because it's, it reflects on me. So I would constantly ask myself, I hate that person. I don't like that person. I don't. How is this me? And it may very well be, possibly, 
that you are also an irritating person. I know I am. I can be. So ultimately, all about you. I hope that wasn't too irritating. (laughs) (laughs) Please return your cushions.